This is Passing for Normal, conversations with artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World and the new book, Changeability, a work of nonfiction exploring how to navigate change with more effectiveness and ease. How do you find courage? How do you become more effective in navigating change? Find out when you join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal Season 3, where I am delighted to be speaking with my guest, the outspoken spoken word artist and champion, Wendy Hammers. Wendy is an actor, writer, stand-up comic, storyteller, and the producer and host of the long-running spoken word salon, Tasty Words, right here in Los Angeles. On this podcast, I have the privilege of engaging in fascinating conversations with amazing change makers and change writers about the very nature of change, the important personal and societal changes that they work with, and how to inspire you, the listener, in initiating or adapting to the changes that you want to see in your own life. And Wendy does it with humor and heart, always with the intent of empowering the voices of others. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you. Good to be on with you. I'm so happy to be in conversation with you. There are so many things that I want to talk to you about, (laughs) and I know we'll, we'll get to them. But first, I just want to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. So Wendy Hammers is beloved by both audiences and performers alike, delighting people with her sharp Jersey wit and the truth (laughs) she tells behind the jokes. She performs, writes, teaches, and as I mentioned, she hosts and curates the spoken word salon Tasty Words, all in the service of story and storytelling. Tasty Words has been going on for 13 years, providing a vehicle for hundreds of writers to share hilarious and heartbreaking personal stories. Her one-woman show, Ripe, that celebrates our bodies and ages as we are right now, um, toured many cities and um, is a celebration of women, women's bodies, and, and how we can fully embody ourselves. She is one of the most lively, outwardly generous people you could meet. So, Wendy, I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. I think I think we're done. I don't know what else to say. I'm very grateful. <laughs> and seen. It's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I can live up to all of that, but it's very kind. And I, I do wear a lot of hats. I was listening to your description of me, and it's because I think at the core of everything I do is wanting to create a sense of community and to feel, make the world a sweeter, smaller place. And, what, and that takes a lot of forms uh, in my artistry. So that's that's why I'm excited about your show and sort of what you do and your mission statement. Well, um, you know, you've led us right into the first question that I want to talk to you about because in my book, Changeability, I talk about seven principles that are necessary for change or that are present in any change situation. And one of them is find community, which means mm-hmm. find support or, for goodness sake, ask for help. And yeah. You create community in everything you do. I mean, you're an individual performer, but you're always creating connection and community. And um, I mean, you can talk about it a little bit in terms of yeah, what you do with know. Tasty Words. Yeah, surely. I don't know how to live in the world otherwise. I, the world can be, as we all know right now all too well, a very changeable and frightening place. Um, there's a lot going on that, you know, many of us are just sort of 
I mean, I think if there was a psychological gesture to match what's going on in our culture right now in terms of politics, I think the gesture would just be a head shaking side to side. Like it just, I just see thousands of people wandering the streets, <laughs> just shaking their heads going, how did we get here and how did this happen? Yeah. And just by the nature of having community, whatever that looks like, whether it's a text chain, whether it's an open forum dialogue like we're doing on your show, whether it's a, you know, a performance piece, it, ways that people cannot feel alone in all of this, um, for many of us, confusing, confusing time. So, yeah, tasty words, I will say, in terms of community, three things happened in my life. And we're now actually, um, it's actually, I, I think I told you 13 years, but it's actually we're in our 14th year. Oh, wow. And, yeah, what happened was um, three things happened in my life. Uh, 9-11 happened. My dear friend Judy Toll uh, died. She had cancer. She passed away at the young age of 46. Mm -hmm. And I went through divorce. And all three of those things happened within the space of about a year. And I thought to myself, if I do not create a place for my community, my friends, other fellow and sister artists, and myself to get on stage and tell our stories, our heads will literally explode. So out of the necessity of that, Tasty Words was born. We started in a children's bookstore on Montana Avenue in Santa Monica. I remember. Like, yeah, you were mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, 15 folding chairs, cookies and milk, and it cost five bucks. And we were happy. If we had 20 people, we were, thought we were like a you know, sellout. Um, and now, all these years later, it has evolved into this community of storytellers, some very well-known and, as I like to say, famous and infamous. Many of them are household names, and many of them are people who just have a story that once you hear it, you feel more connected. I know I do as a listener. I feel more connected to my own humanity, and that's what I look for a lot of times in the writing. You know, does it move me, and does it make me feel like I am part of something, not separate from something? So. Right, so it seems that, you know, because um, these are organized usually around themes, right? And, yes, you know, the stories are both entertaining, but they're also very poignant, right? And they're also mm -hmm. uh, very often the story of, you know, some sort of learning story or teaching story that's coming from yes. the writer who's reading. Absolutely. I mean, I like to describe it as hilarious and heartfelt stories uh, written, told by the people who wrote them and lived them. And I, as a curator and the person who sort of designs the evening, I go out of my way to make sure there's a balance of, you know, funny and uplifting with also heartbreaking. Uh, this theme we did recently that you were at, I think you were at the show, was. Uh, was called, yeah, I'm Still Here, Stories from the Road to Hell and Back from People Who've Lived to Tell the Tale. And as I was saying to somebody after the show, it's my job to make sure that nobody leaves the, you know, I Survive show, basically, and want to kill themselves. <laughs> it's not, that would not be a good thing. Yeah, so right. in order to do that, I make sure, because the truth is we're all survivors every day. Whether you're surviving the fact that you're stuck on the you know on the freeway and you you know losing your mind because you're sitting in your traffic for two hours, or something of much deeper and more challenging significance like a life-threatening illness, or a death of a friend, or you know a death of some sort in your life because life is a series of deaths and births all the time. So whatever it is, I just think that part of my work as a storyteller and as the curator of Tasty Words is to bring people stories that you know, will open their hearts and then allow them to, to have a new perspective on things. And as I've often said, you know, to me, the definition of great theater is from the time the curtain goes up to the time it goes down, the performers and the audience are altered, and they have a view that they did not have before. And that, to me, is really what we try to do with the stories that, you know, we present. Right. And so would you say that is the power of story? Yes. I would say there's something magical also about short form as opposed to 
it's very powerful to see a, a two-hour film or an hour-and-a-half play, but there's also something very powerful about someone gets on stage and they, they bring you 850 words or 10 minutes of material, and there's an arc to it. There's a beginning, middle, and end. And by the end, you've gone on a journey, and you come out the other side, and you feel like, wow, they survived that thing. I can too. Um, and I do think that that is the power of story, to, to simultaneously get us out of our own whatever kind of stuckness we may be in our own personal narrative, uh, so get us out of that, have someone else's experience, and then also be able to bring it back to and mirror it back to your own life. Exactly. Say, well, how, you know, how does this help me? Right, and how is this relevant, and what can I learn from this and, and apply to my own particular, you know, as I say, we're, own, we're, all, we're all a walking collection of stories. We all have our own personal narrative, whatever it is, that we walk around with, whether we're conscious of it or not. And I think by hearing other people's stories, it puts your own story in perspective. It makes you realize you have a story. That's right. You have a story. Yeah. You have a voice. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and witnessing an evening of these where you say these arcs where someone, you know, has, has you know, is presenting usually some sort of circumstance that is difficult, challenging, right. or embarrassingly funny or something like that. <laughs> but they've come through. Yeah. And you hear them one after another. Yeah, right. it's powerful. Yes, one after another. Um, typically, we will have seven or eight uh, storytellers in an evening, sometimes an intermission, sometimes not. Um, and at the moment, we've only presented them in Los Angeles. Um, but two things to say about that. One is I want these stories to reach far and wide, and so I would be interested at some point in taking some of these on the road, uh, live performances. But also, currently, we are now uh, live streaming for the first time in 14 years. So people who aren't in Los Angeles or who want to hear the stories again or share them with people who aren't able to get to the show for whatever reason can go to tastywords.com and hear the stories right there, which is really great. And our first weekend of doing that, we had 1,200 people listening from around the world. We had people listening everywhere from you know, L.A. to uh, Brazil, oh, which was fantastic. really exciting. Yeah, that's cool. That is very, very exciting. And um, so... You know, let's talk about community and let's talk about the support of community. And, um, okay. you know, so you yourself used community in a most admirable and effective way when you had your uh, cancer diagnosis and your treatment and your recovery. And so... Yeah, I'd have to give my community credit for that. It was really my friend who, you know, one of the great... I, I was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer stage one, B, I believe was the technical diagnosis, in July of 2015, so just last year. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, one of the great gifts that I got from having cancer was learning how to ask for help and letting people, receiving help uh, in a way that I really never had in my life. And if you would know me but not know me well, you might find that hard to believe because, uh, you know, I'm a fast-talking, open-hearted, big-mouthed kind of a gal with a lot of people in my circle. And so I think from the outside, people would just assume, well, why would Wendy have a problem with that? But the truth is I really wasn't very good at it. And then when you're ill, physically debilitated to the extent that you really can't do for yourself, you really had no choice. So I was forced to learn how to receive. And what I learned from that was that it's actually a gift that you give to people when you let people help you. Because people do want to feel that they can help, and a lot of times they don't know what to do. So, right. And I know this now from having gone through it and been recipient of all this love and goodness. Now I know, I've, I knew it before, but I really know it now that when I give back to other people, they're giving me such a gift. And it, it really is true. And the way that all ties in with storytelling is some people are not, you know, so demonstrative. They're not outgoing and they're not the ones to speak up in a crowd. But when you hear a story 
it, it speaks for you. It's like it gives a mouthpiece to some of your ideas mm. and feelings, mm-hmm. sometimes things we're not even in touch with. And that's really a, an amazing thing because that does make the world feel more connected to me. Um, yeah, so I don't even remember what your question was now. But well, it doesn't matter <laughs> what my question is because we're in this field of conversation about community <laughs> and, yeah, um, yes. and story. And, yeah. um, it's and my community of the storytelling with Tasty Words specifically, like I said, I think that we were probably – you know, 15 or 20 people when we started. Now we have over 300 people that attend each show. And um, you feel, I mean, I, I get the response both in the room and also the letters and emails and phone calls I receive. And the feedback is that people do feel like they're part of something and they're witnessing something important and that makes an impact on their life. And that feels really good to me. I mean, I really, it's a big part of the reason I do what I do. Um, and I think the people, you know, we do this for each other. You can have a storytelling forum in your own house, invite three friends over for coffee or tea, and just allow each other to talk. You know, there's a, this, this thing of sharing stories. I didn't invent it. It didn't happen 10 minutes ago. It didn't even start with Hollywood and filmmaking, storytelling. Yeah. You know, we're talking about talking sticks. Around the campfire and, you know, wisdom circles from Native American elders where a talking stick is passed. And while you have that stick in your hand, you get to speak and the others listen and no one interrupts you. And if you come from the kind of talking circle I grew up with, which is a Jewish family (laughs) where everyone talks at once and nobody listens to anything, it's sort of startling that people – you understand this, I know. I can tell by – now, see, in the Native American community, your laughter would be considered an aho which is what you do say when you when something resonates with you. Instead of saying words, you just go, oh, or that's ho. Right. So that's your laughter. But, oh, yes, I always say in my stand-up comedy act, I talk about my non-Jewish husband's family. They do this crazy thing that I was not familiar with. They ask you a question, and then they wait for your answer. I'd never seen this before. They don't interrupt you. Mm. They actually listen to what you have to say. Oh I did God. not grow up with that. I'm not saying that all Jewish families are like that. I'm just saying that Thank mine you. <laughs> Yeah, it's in the culture. Yeah, it is. It's in the culture. But you're saying, so you know. Value in listening. Yeah, the value yeah. of it. And so, um, mm-hmm. right, the ability to to really listen and to be heard, right? You know, yeah. and yeah. I'm comparing what you're talking about in terms of gathering community around um, around being ill and being vulnerable and also the gathering of community to listen to one or witness one. You know, there is a tendency in our Western culture when we get sick, when we really get in trouble to isolate and to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people feel like, especially with a diagnosis of cancer, that they did something wrong, that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of really coming out and, and allowing yourself to say, I need help and being met by help, being yeah, met by love, being met by support, way. being met by right. humor, right? It's the yeah. same thing as as when someone has the willingness. I mean, there are those people who are, you know, very have ease with, with speaking in front of people or telling their stories. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. writers often write because they're mm-hmm. not comfortable talking out loud, right? Yeah, they absolutely. Sh- yeah, I, I want to say something that you just made me think of that really, I wish I could remember who said this to me. Lots of thousands of people said things to me while I was recovering and all valuable. But somebody said something I'd never heard before, and it just struck me in my core. And that is a really good time, a good time to have friends, and you could replace the word 
friends, with community, if you like, mm-hmm. a really good time to have them is when you don't need them. Yes. <laughs> because when you do, you have them. If you don't foster and develop these intimate conversations with people beforehand, then you don't have that community, and that's why the isolation happens. I did not, I was not kind to people in my life, or I was not open to people in my life because I thought that they would do something nice for me in the future. That really was not my intention. Yes. I'm genuinely interested in people's stories and finding what's in people's hearts. So that's kind of the way I roam the earth. And so because of that, I know a lot of wonderful people. And those people showed up in spades when I was ill. And so I would say if anybody tends to be introvert or isolative, if you can realize that you not only are you helping other people by allowing them to be closer to you, but you may need them or they may need you at some point. And that really, I think more than ever with what's going on politically, all we can do is, you know, it's like the serenity prayer. You know, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Well, what I can change is my immediate community, the local people around me in my own home, in my own neighborhood, on my block, in my city, how I can influence those people and allow them and to have a conversation, whether it's a creative conversation, a political conversation, you know, carry someone's groceries, ask your neighbor how they're doing. All of that is a way that I can feel more empowered in the bigger picture because I'm not in charge of Donald Trump. I'm really not. But I am in charge of my own integrity and my own ability to show up for the people that are closest to me. And then hopefully from there we find solutions of how to go beyond that and make that bigger community makes sense. So change happens, and we got knocked off the call, but here we are still, right, Wendy? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. Yes. So we got to be flexible and learn how to roll with change. That's what changeability is all about. Um, that is a daily lesson. <laughs> it is a daily lesson. And you are such an improvisational actress, right? I mean, yeah. we were talking about something else, but I'm going to take us in this other direction for a minute. You know, you okay. work with scripted form, but you also are are always working impromptu, right? I mean. Yes, I do. I do, uh, you know, between stand-up or whether I'm hosting a live show. Actually, one of the great joys of my life was I got to Beyond Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO with Larry David. And that show is non-scripted. It's structured. He has an idea of where the story is going. But when you audition for that show, unlike a typical actor situation where they hand you a page of script, um, they hand you a slip of paper that is the size of something that would be in a fortune cookie. And it has one line on it. Mm -hmm. And then you just go from there. (laughs) And literally the piece of paper he handed me said, um, you know, I don't have my plane ticket. I'm you're you're in a bad mood. You know, whatever you do, just, you know, just give me trouble and don't let me get on the plane. And then I had to just create that. So Great. yeah, yeah, so fun. Yeah. Right, and it's, so it's just like with life. You're handed a little slip of paper that says you have cancer. Now go. Yeah, yeah. Oh or, boy, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Or no, that's you, exactly what happened. Exactly. Or you know, surprise election. Go. <laughs> And go. Yeah. yeah. And no, go. that's exactly right. It's all an improvisation. And, you know, I think the more – it's such a great, you know, pro- concept that you're introducing here, Sharon, because I think the more that you understand – the basic improvisation exercise is called the yes and exercise. Any of your listeners who are actors or improvisers are familiar with this, but if you're not, essentially what it means is when you are in a scene with another actor and it's not scripted, somebody walks into the scene and they say something, your job is to say yes and – if you say no, the scene is over. So 
it's like the same thing in life. I mean, people throw all kinds of things at you, and you either can say, well, I don't accept that, no, and then that's the end of the conversation. You have nowhere to go from there. Or you say, yes, that's true, and also, and you add more to the conversation. And that is definitely applicable right now in our lives, all of us. That's right. And so you said, you know, so you got the slip that said you have cancer. And you said, yes, and. Yes, I said, yes, and, because... I didn't believe that I had the physical, emotional, or spiritual bandwidth to say no and to even entertain the idea that I would not have 100% recovery from cancer. I knew I had a child to raise. I knew I had a wonderful marriage. I knew I had a community of friends and family that mattered to me. And I knew that as an artist, I had barely scratched the surface of what I wanted to say here. So I had a lot of shit to do and a lot of reasons to be alive. And I didn't even, I really didn't think I had the physical bandwidth to consider elsewise. So I just said, okay, let's go into solution. And I basically tried to employ every medical, traditional Western and alternative Eastern thing that made sense to me. You know, another gift of cancer or any catastrophic situation when there are no rules of how to do it because everybody's, you know, health process is different, it forces you to trust your inner voice and to really honor that. Because nobody really, at the end of the day, knows what you need for your body the way that you do, if you listen to your body, if you trust your body. And a lot of my recovery from pancreatic cancer was about giving my cancer, if you will, space to have its own voice. I would Mm -hmm. place my hands on my belly. I would lie on my back. I couldn't lie on my side for 10 months. I was in too much pain. Couldn't move. Um, I couldn't eat for a month. I just would hold my belly and say, okay, cancer, you're my teacher. What do you have for me today? Mm -hmm. I literally did this. Because I didn't know what else to do. And I knew that I wouldn't be scared if I did that. And I needed to feel strong so I could get better. And I don't know all that much about this in terms of traditional medical language. But I know that the body with positive vibes and love and good energy is fortified. And I believe that my body created the cells, recreated healthy cells and replaced the the bad cells with good because of all this positive thought, belief. Um, affirmations, uh, listening to CDs, writing. I worked with a creative, a cancer coach who walked me through this whole process, incredible woman out of New York named Marissa Harris, uh, who I'd highly recommend to anybody that's going through this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find her online, Marissa Harris. And um, just, uh, again, back to this idea of community and voice, I really wanted to hear what the cancer had to say. And I wanted to know. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about why did I get this, why sure. am I here? Sure. But rather, how can I move forward from here? You yes. know, and I, I would say that's a, probably applicable. I hadn't thought about it. Probably applicable to our current situation. For those people that are happy with the political outcome we have, then they can move forward with the idea that they're doing good things and do that. And for those that aren't happy, which apparently is the majority of the people in this country, we have to go not why did this happen, but how can we now shift this and move forward from here and, and learn from it. That's right, and move forward to um, on behalf of essential values. I mean, when you were laying, mm. when, when you were lying on the floor and you were asking, you know, um, what is needed here, it was, mm-hmm. you know, you were you were aligned with a certain value: the value of healing, the value of life, the value of, um, you know, purpose. So it has so much Absolutely. to do with working on behalf of our values and even understanding what they are and clarifying. And you know, one of the it sounds like one of the gifts of um, of your illness was a clarification of values. Yeah, and to ask the question in any given situation, now I'm not perfect on this, but I really try to honor this, is at any given situation, 
does this action, does this encounter I'm about to have, this thought process, this conversation, this encounter, this piece of literature I'm going to read, this thing I'm about to expose myself to, does it walk me closer to my recovery or drive me further away? Mm -hmm. And then to make choices based on that, the honest answer to that question. So if it means there's one too many things on my to-do list and I'm going to overload myself, I have to go, I'm only human and I don't want to get sick again. So how am I going to make choices that are going to support that? That's beautiful. You know, before we got on this call, you were talking to me about learning more about the play between stillness and movement that you discovered during yeah. illness. And I'd like you to talk more about that. Okay. So, um, you know, this expression, you know, are you a human being or a human doing? Mm-hmm. You know, we're human beings, not human doings. I, I am not that comfortable being physically still. I have spent much of my life either monkey mind, as they say in yoga, with my brain going in a million directions with lots of thoughts, many times great creative thoughts, fun, exciting thoughts, but so many that I can't sleep, (laughs) or um, moving physically and being a human doing rather than a human being. And that's also very, you know, again, I'm not making myself wrong for it, just observing it. But in our culture, if you are working full-time and you're in a relationship and you have a family and you have a community uh, and many other things calling to you, there's a lot to do in the course of one day. But do we have to get to a place in our lives, or I think we certainly have an opportunity to get to a place in our lives where we go, I'm doing all this to what end? Is this really serving, you know, what I'm here to do? And if what you're here to do is something as beautiful and precious and, and, and simple as you're here to love and be loved and support the people around you, then are you doing the things for yourself that have allowed you to refill your well so you're available to do that? And in my case, I never really gave myself that much just sort of downtime. I really was always moving. And then I had no choice. And then I was still. And the kinds of thoughts that came to me in that stillness space allowed me to kind of reevaluate you know, what I wanted the next half of my life to look like. By the way, when I was in the throes of my cancer diagnosis, I always thought in terms of what will I be doing from here on out? And that energy of I'm about to build the second half of my life and know that it can look different than the first half, I think is part of the reason I got better. It wasn't like, what if I don't make it? I, that, that For me, that wasn't helpful. Some people, that wouldn't be accurate. Some people are feeling, based on their diagnosis, and you know, I've spent a lot of time talking to other cancer uh, people with cancer about this. For some of them, it feels more realistic to say, well, I may not be here forever, so what do I want for today? Everyone's got a different version. But one thing I did learn in cancer that is many people knew this, I didn't know this, is that all of us, all of us are dying right now, every one of us. And I never thought in terms of that. I mean, everybody knows that, but I never was that. I was such an optimist. I didn't think that way. But But it's not about being optimistic or not being optimistic. We are, we will all die. Everything will die. We will die. Yeah. And, you know, there are many, many possibilities in life. The only, there's many infinite opportunities and possibilities. There's only one thing that's truly finite and that is time. That is the one thing that is, 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 is the, the time we, the time passes and that we will go. And so that knowing, uh, you know, I think it just, somehow allowed me to shift into really putting down the things in my life that really weren't serving me, like making different choices for what my life would look like. And what you're um, speaking- and I'm still very much in that process, yes, of <laughs> you know, course, learning. Of course, it's a, lifelong, it's a lifelong process. And what you're speaking mm-hmm. to is really, you know, 
in my book, on my podcast, I talk to artists, I talk to activists, I talk to people I consider to be awakeners. And I think mm -hmm. one of the roles of the artist, or in this case, the writer, but the artist in affecting change is the use of imagination. The ability mm -hmm. to, to imagine, to reframe, to reframe for the public. You're looking at it this way. I mean, that's one of the purposes of humor, right? Or the functions of humor. Yeah, no it's kidding. Like you're looking at it this way, and then boom, you come in with another take on it. And Absolutely. And I it, often told my writing, my writing students when I was coaching, I'm still coaching, but I was teaching weekly classes. I would always remind them that humor, another word for humor in my mind is perspective. It just is a perspective shifter. Um, and it's a helpful tool in people hearing any message, getting anything in, you open people's hearts with humor, and then whatever else it is that you want to share can come through. That's right. The so. way I look at it is when they're opening their throats laughing, the message slips mm -hmm. down easier. <laughs> That's great image. It's true. It's so true. I read, I read a piece uh, years ago. It was a New York Times, um, New York Times article by Sam Shepard about his latest play that was on Broadway at that time. And he said, you know, people have it up to here with the five o'clock news. Don't really have the capacity to just take in bad news all the time. We're kind of full from that. So he said, it is essential that you use humor and then that becomes a tool for change. That becomes a way for people to be open enough to hear whatever else is you, you want to say. And then perhaps they can get a different kind of message. But it really is. It's not, you know, I always tell my students, it's not that I'm trying to turn you all into stand-up comics. It's not at all what it is. But if you can find some humorous perspective, it will help you see through to the other side of the story. Right, which is and why, great, you know, uh, John Stewart and The Daily Show, you know, so many people uh, said, that's where I get my news. Right, because it's too hard to take it the other way. It's not That's palatable. Right. It's yeah. I'm in, I'm in awe of what's happening on Saturday Night Live right now, and um, John Oliver. These people are really, you know, to me, they're oxygen for people. I, I I don't even know that. I mean, I'm I'm going on stage tonight in Hollywood, and I'm doing what I'm calling my first post-apocalyptic show, which is <laughs> just you know, like because I I don't know how. Thank you. I don't know how else to. Um, to frame it, and I, I don't know if it counts as stand-up comic if you just stand on stage for half an hour and scream, because then you turn into, you know, <laughs> Sam Kennison. That's not my goal, <laughs> but I, I just really feel like that I have to just express. And it's interesting because it, it makes you when when a crisis happens, whether it's cancer, whether it's you know, the person that you think is about to run the country is really a dangerous, horrible human being, whatever it is, whatever extreme thing it is it kind of shifts everything. Like the plates under your feet shift. And I'm rethinking every joke I've ever written in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, well, well, not that I'm kidding. Not that I do fart jokes. But I'm like, well, well, why would I be doing that, that when, you know, Donald Trump's going to be in charge? Like it kind of makes you reframe everything, which is a good thing. It'll force me to be more courageous as a, as a, as a voice. You know, I, it's like when you're writing or you're on stage performing or you're creating a piece of art, you have, the opportunity to express but with that opportunity and you have a gift to do so and then with that comes the responsibility to actually say something of value i think of it's course. like you've got the mic what are you going to say <laughs> you know because a lot of people don't they just kind of say nothing and now is the time for people to say something it really is um if Absol ever there was a time <laughs> now is that time and you know and you for so very long have provided a format and a forum for people to say something and say something important. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm proud of the, I'm proud of the tellers, you know, the writers, the authors, the, 
uh, ranters and ravers, all the people who have graced the Tasty Word stage for the past 14 years. They've been uh, absolutely made me have more perspective on my own life, and that's what compelled me to, to do these shows. You know, I had a conversation years ago with um, – lovely woman who also produces live events named Janine Franks. And she and I talked about, she used to talk about, she, she used to have, you know, folding chairs in the back of her car and she would schlep the chairs around town and set up shop and, you know, and, and, and tell, have people tell stories and sing songs and do political humor. And, you know, we had this running joke about how much longer are we going to schlep folding chairs? You know, because yeah. she's like, I don't know. I still have these chairs in the trunk, but oh, I can't boy. help it because people still have things to say. Yeah. And so I keep setting up my chairs mm-hmm. and I feel like that. I'm just going to keep setting up the chairs as long as people have stories to tell. That's right. And you were talking to me earlier about, you know, what happens when people can't use their voices. You know, we were talking about the election Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, people who have felt unheard and that, you know, what happens when people feel unheard or that they feel like they can't express and how it gets held in the body. And you you say what you told me. I I was saying a couple of things. One is that I am a big fan of people having the right to, I mean, obviously part of being American and being in this country is that we have the right to express as free speech. We have that as part of our constitutional laws, but specifically nonviolent protest because the energy of fear, the energy of anger and of outrage gets physically stuck in your body. And if you don't have a way, that's why marching and a protest march, that's why it makes sense that it's physical. It's not people sitting in chairs and raising their hand. It's Mm. people physically moving their asses Mm. because the energy has to move through the system. Otherwise it gets stuck. And anybody that knows anything about Chinese medicine and about meridians and chakras and things getting stuck in the body. You know, I have to say that I, and again, people might not like this, but I have to say this. I really do feel that for me that I was expressed as an artist to a certain extent, and I believe that part of the reason I got sick is because I wasn't really fully expressing, Mm -hmm. and I really – my body was saying, I can't hold this anymore. You need to somehow make space for me – for you to more fully be you. So mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. So, so back to this idea of you know people needing to express uh, and the importance of that and it not getting stuck in the body. Um, I think people need to be physical. I know for me, I needed to be physical. Even when I was really ill, because I'm a mover, I'd lie in the hospital after major surgery at UCLA and still have you know disco music on and be flailing my arms and legs when I was <laughs> so couldn't. I was like literally turned my room into a disco because I didn't know what else to do. My body was saying, "Please let me move and move some of this move it. Yeah. toxicity out of my system." Yeah. And that's why I think we need to have big dance parties right now and write-ins. You know, people writing and chanting, singing, and dancing out their stuff out of their bodies. That's right. <laughs> Got to go somewhere with other people. Mm-hmm. Yes, with in other community, people, which brings us full circle to um, back yeah. to community because we need yeah. lots of dance partners and and uh, <laughs> yeah. and as much as we need to uh, to be able to speak and express, we also need people to witness us. And we need to be able to witness others. Um, yeah, in, it's really, uh, it's really true. In using our individual and collective imaginations to say, okay, yes, and. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And. Well put. Yeah. Now, yes, and 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 the thing that you say about you know in community, I think um, that there was a period of time. And this is where the stillness part of the conversation comes in, where we do go inward. And we do need to be alone and do need to be still. But that that goes on too long for many of us, and I can only speak for myself, 
at a certain point, I need to then reflect and be with others that I trust and love and hold them dear. So it's like that combination of being still and sort of feeling where you are and then moving back into the world with others in conversation. That makes right. any sense. That's right. It's the respiration. Yeah. It's the respiration of community, just like it's the respiration of mm. breath. You know, we have an That's in beautiful. breath. There's a, there's a still space between the breath. <clears throat> there's an exhale. There's a still space between the breath. You know, you and you have yeah. to honor those yeah. still spaces. You can't otherwise you'd be hyperventilating. And yeah. the out breath and the in breath need to be equal. You can't because if you're out, 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 you'll pass out. If you're in, 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 you'll also pass out. You know, so right. it's it's really thinking about this coming, you know, this coming forward, this going in as a sort of respiration mm-hmm. that matches our breath. Uh, okay. First of all, whenever you decide to do body work classes again, any kind of dance, I'm interested because I love everything you just said. And also, I happen to know your daughter, and she's lucky to have you as a mom oh. <laughs> because <laughs> that kind of mindset is really – Again, not anything I was raised with. I was raised with, you know, do more quicker and don't stop and take that pause and feel that in and out breath because if you do, six other people will tell you what to do with your life in that break while they're shoving food in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be a lot of room for you to have that pause because a bagel might fly in there. So, you know, I just (laughs) got to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. I always tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I there's just just tell you quickly. There's a story that I um I tell in my show. Um, I guess it was in Undressing New Jersey and other states of mind, an earlier solo show. And I used to say that I always wanted to have a kind of you know deep, you know deep thought conversation with my father, and it never went very deep with him. And everything was all about food with him. So I remember one time, this is an honest to goodness conversation that went on. I called him up and um, I said, how you doing? And he said, last night I had the most incredible salmon of my life. And I said, oh, well, how's mom? And he said, she had the tuna. And that is as deep as it got. That was the whole conversation. So that is like, you know, if you, there's no room for breath in that. So this is a retraining. A lot of us that are hungry for community and that do pursue political and cultural and creative communities in part want them and need them because we didn't grow up with them. So we must create a family that listens in our lives Ooh, and, beautiful. you know, as a community. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Wendy, I don't want to stop. I really, I really don't want to stop. I know. I love talking to, to you. It's time to stop. Okay. So um, okay. before we stop, uh, and really it's just a, a pause, right? It's, it's our stillness right. in yes. the conversation. But um, yes. I would like you to tell people how they can find you, how they can join with you. Uh, and anything Great. else you want us to know about that might be coming up. Okay. Wonderful. Yes. There's a few events happening in Los Angeles that I want to call people's attention to. I'll mention them briefly. Um, let's see. I'm doing a show tonight, but they, they, by the time they hear this, this will no, be long gone. So let's tonight, start yeah. with December 4th is coming up right around the corner from the uh, time that we'll be airing this show. Mm-hmm. And December 4th is um, the next Tasty Words and the final Tasty Words of the year. And that is a theme that I've been wanting to do forever, uh, talk about an interesting community. This is a show all about adoption. Mm-hmm. And the theme is Our Family Looks Like This. Oh, yeah. These are eight mm-hmm. different storytellers, some of who have adopted, some who are adopted. Many of them are nationally known stand-up comics and authors, and it's going to be an amazing evening. So the information for that 
and all the other shows I have coming up can be found at either wendyhammers.com. If you just remember my name, Wendy, like if I had a hammer with an S, wendyhammers.com. That will take them to all the other sites. They can also always go to tastywords.com. Either one of those will work. And I want to mention that just as of yesterday, uh, we solidified that we're going to be doing um, a a spoken word um, benefit for an organization called Haven Haven Hill. Haven House, you know, I've got to get the right name, but it's a domestic violence shelter in here in Los Angeles, and the proceeds will go to, to them, and that will be happening in March. I believe it's the 18th of March, and um, we're also going to be doing one more Tasty Words in February with two nationally known storytellers that I'm excited about sharing with people. Uh, Ann Randolph is coming in from Hawaii, and Arlene Malinowski will be coming in from Chicago, and I will be doing a brand-new story. And that will all be happening in February. So all that information can be found at wendyhammers.com or tastywords.com. And, uh, yeah, and they can tune in and hear uh, the show's uh, uh, live stream on uh, wendyhammers.com as well and tastywords.com. So, okay. Fantastic, so. Wendy. It has been so wonderful talking to you. And um, You too. <laughs> I have such regard Thank you, for Shannon. you. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Well, I feel the same, and I'm excited. We'll continue this conversation, and um, I hope that both of us, what we spoke about today, I hope it will encourage people in whatever way, large or small, to use their voices and to speak their truth, because life is short, and this is our chance to do it. This is not a just rehearsal, so go for it. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> so, you so much, Wendy. All right. You're welcome. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. This has been Passing for Normal conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about Changeability, the book, and about all of the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.